We're fortunate to have with us today one of the most exciting and accomplished people in show business. If we only mentioned his Broadway triumphs, from In the Heights to the cultural phenomenon of Hamilton, it would be enough. But then there are also his songs for Disney's animated Moana, his role in this year's film version of In the Heights, his songs for the recently released Vivo, and his upcoming film directing debut with Tick, Tick, Boom. He has three Tonys, three Grammys, two Emmys, a MacArthur Fellowship, a Kennedy Center Honor, and the Pulitzer Prize. Welcome to the podcast, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Thank you for having me. Encanto is the latest animated feature from Disney, the story of a family in Colombia for whom magic is a way of life, except for one of the three daughters, who seems not to have gotten the gift. You have a long history with Disney, not just your songs for Moana, but also your performance in Mary Poppins Returns, and of course, Hamilton is airing on Disney+. Plus. When did Encanto come up for you? Uh, Encanto came up right on the heels of Moana, in that Moana went well. <laughs> and I was really grateful that it went well, and I was kind of the last guy hired for Moana. Um, they were several years in development on the story for that, and I remember when Ron and John were interviewing composers in New York. I was one of many composers they interviewed, and I was lucky enough to get the gig. Hamilton was still on the horizon, and then I ended up working on both at the same time. And so when Moana went well, and by went well, I mean we really kind of just had a great experience doing it, because we were really kind of the little guy in the wake of Frozen um, in terms of the initial reception. I just said, I want to be in on the ground floor for the next one. I felt so energized by the way in which my songs in Moana were able to contribute to the storytelling, and I wanted to be even more involved. And I was also really inspired and emboldened during my research for Moana on how much input Howard Ashman had when he worked with Alan Menken on Little Mermaid. I mean, he went and sort of gave everyone a master class in musical theater storytelling. And I wanted to be a part of that incredible legacy and, and, and help the music tell these incredible stories. So what stage of development was the basic Encanto story? It was me, Charisse, Jared and Byron sitting around going, what do we want this movie to be about? And there were a couple of things that we just kept circling as things we had in common, which was we want to tell a story about family, and that's a simple word, and it's a loaded word, especially an intergenerational Latino family all living under the same roof, and, and the way we see ourselves versus the way our family sees us and the roles we fall into. And the thing we kind of kept daring each other was, can we hang on to a lot of characters in a Disney movie, because what ends up happening in the story process on any movie, not just a Disney movie, is you start to talk about stakes, and you talk about the quest, and what's the end of act two and act three, and, and characters fall away as you simplify and streamline your story. And, and our whole thing was, can we hold on to all of these characters, and how many characters, and how deep can we go in terms of these relationships? And so um, having that as our goal from the beginning, I think, allowed for this much broader canvas. And again, that's really exciting from a songwriting perspective because it's I've gotten that many angles in on this family. I understand you actually were part of a group that went to Colombia for research. Is that right? Tell me yeah. about that. Yeah, we were it was 2018. I had the 
terrible misfortune of contracting shingles two weeks before. Oh. So I was uh, sort of the injured player on the trip, but my, my father came with me. Really? And I don't know whether he invited himself or whether <laughs> Disney invited him, but it was actually really incredible to have him along for the ride. I think having grown up in, in Puerto Rico, he provided a totally different perspective as a dad and a granddad than, than I could. And we all kind of immersed ourselves in Colombian music and culture together. And we went to Cartagena and Bogota and Palenque and Barichara. We went to the city and to the country and everywhere in between. Um, and saw musicians at every step of the journey. And, um, and, you know, I liken it to kind of going to your cousin's house and looking through their family album. There's ways in which the music I grew up with is similar to Colombian music and there's ways in which they diverge. And that was, that was a really fun exploration. That's so fascinating. I mean, I think there's a terrible tendency to lump Latin music all in one group, all well, it, but it's not all the same. It, there are great differences, aren't yeah. there? Yeah, and there are heroes from Colombia that I was very familiar with. You know, Carlos Vives is a global figure to us. I grew up with Carlos Vives' music, even though I am not from Colombia. But what was exciting was, was finding and, and highlighting those differences, then leaning into them, you know. Um, in Puerto Rico, the, the sort of specialized guitar we have is the cuatro. And in Colombia, I think its equivalent is the tiple. And then also playing with time signatures. You know, Mirabel's big Disney I Want song is in 3-4 time because we were listening to these incredible songs played by tiple players that were all in 3-4. And I just thought, well, if I put her in 3-4, that means she's literally out of beat with the rest of her family. And so, again, exciting discoveries made as a result of our research times. And how long were you there? We were there for a little over two weeks. That's great. I mean, and probably seeing music, musicians every night. Seeing musicians everywhere, yeah, and every night. And, and not just like performing live, but also just like going to the nightclubs and seeing what everyone was dancing to. So I'm curious to know about the time frame and if the Colombian trip gave you more, not just more uh, ideas and story for, for story and music, but also did that contribute significantly to the development and maybe creation of a final script. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was very early in our process. I think that was something like 2018. I hadn't written any songs for the movie before that point. We really let that inform our journey as much as possible. And then the other fun thing that happened, and I don't get to talk about this anywhere else, is we made each other playlists. As we were defining these characters, again, my job is to musically define them and find their rhythm and find their pulse. You know, we would make each other playlists. And here's the Luisa playlist. Here's the Isabella playlist. Um, things that they would listen to? Uh, yeah, things that they would listen to or music that we felt like would come out of them mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a truthful way. And I see those playlists really reflected, you know, in the journeys that we ended up taking. You know, I for Isabella, who sort of comes into her power as the sister who realizes how powerful she is, I went to a very rockin' Espanol 90s place. Like, I went to Shakira and Paulina Rubio and Roby Rosa. There was a moment where the best rock music was actually coming out of Colombia and Latin America, and it was in Spanish. 
you know, the diversity of Colombian music is it's not just a specific place, it's different times and different eras. And so to have this very 90s rock sound up against this reggaeton sound just allows for much more dynamism within the family. So there's eight songs by you in the film. I'm guessing you probably wrote more along the way. <laughs> yeah. I wrote um, more and they were all for Mirabelle's. They were all preparing for Waiting on a Miracle. That's always the one I have the most trouble with. Well, I want to talk about that because I love Waiting for a Miracle. And there's something about Mirabelle being sort of the outsider. And, and I think in a way you sort of define her musically, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Well, the first thing I wrote for the film, and it was really before we even had a second or third act to the film, I knew that no matter what happened, we had a lot of characters with a lot of gifts, and it was going to be tough for an audience to keep them straight. So I said, let me write Mirabelle's introduction of the family. Let her clearly lay out, here's Abuela, here are her kids, here are their kids, and here's me. And I was really inspired by Belle from Beauty and the Beast, which is sort of like, you know, here's me, here's the town, here's how we all feel about each other, and let's go. Let's Perfect. put all the chess pieces in place. And I knew that the story would change, and I knew that characters' names and powers would change, because it was really early in the process, but I thought this could be a good just sort of like legend to stick on the map we're eventually going to draw together. And that structure pretty much stayed throughout. And then I also really like the delicious sort of idea of when they ask about her gift, her playing even faster and being like, all right, let's talk about anything else. <laughs> um, and her sort of tap dancing faster to keep us from the, the larger truth, which is she's the only one without a gift. Um, I knew that would make us love her in a very real way because it's someone who's really proud of being in this family and then also has this other thing she has to contend with. Might be a bear, her mood affects the weather. When she's unhappy, well, the temperature gets weird. Might be a Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. They say he saw the future. One day he disappeared. Oh, and that's why Mom Julieta hears her deal. Whoa. So talk a little bit about Waiting for a Miracle, how that came about, how challenging it was. <laughs> I think part of the challenge, and this is just real, is like you know that when you're working for Disney, this song is going on a playlist with part of your world, Into the Unknown, Reflection from Mulan. You know, that's just intimidating, full stop. And then the other thing is, the, the challenge of it is you are creating the, the launching pad for whatever journey you're about to go on. And most of your development time working on the movie is finding what that journey is. And so I think the first song I wrote was a song called I'm More Than What I'm Not. And it was much more syncopated and kind of urban Latino sounding. It was like, I'm more than what I'm not. I'm more than what you think you see when you think of me. I'm not. But again, it's very tricky to define yourself by a negative. You can't do that and, and really kind of set off uh, on a journey. And then I think the next song I wrote was called Just a Moment. She didn't want a miracle. She just wanted a moment where the family would clearly see her. And then it just became very clear that that wasn't the story the film was telling. Um, so then I went back and found going into three, four times. Um, again, inspired by the beautiful Colombian bambucos and stuff we'd heard in three, four time. And then finding the phrase, waiting on a miracle. And by the time I'd found all this, our lead actress, Steph Beatrice, is like eight and a half months pregnant. <laughs> um, so to me, I I'll never forget the pressure of like, 
this song has got to get done because she's going to have a baby and then you're not going to be able to get her in the studio again. And so the incomparable Stephanie Beatriz singing this song with a baby half sitting on her lungs while she has to hit these really tough notes and literally waiting on a miracle <laughs> while she is singing Waiting on a Miracle. I'll never forget that experience. And you know, she and I have been friends for a really long time, um, way before uh, any of us had any success in this business. And so we just, the texts back and forth of like, can you believe we, I get to write this stuff and, and you get to sing it? It really was kind of a dream come true. Did you have a role in casting her? I didn't. I was not really that involved in the casting process. And when they told me it was her, I was thrilled. You know, I had an incredible experience working with her on In the Heights, of course. And I also just know she has an incredibly musical and expressive voice. It's like this cosmic joke that the world met her as Detective Rosa on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where she's pitched two octaves down in like a monotone because she has the bubbliest, Disneyest voice you ever heard in talking to her. And again, to a person, I was thrilled by um, what I had to work with as the composer because, you know, Diane Guerrero gets in the booth and you're like, oh my God, you sound like Latina Britney Spears. You have an incredible <laughs> pop voice. It's perfect for uh, the song we wrote. So I, I, I tip my hat to, to our filmmakers who, who, cast, who really cast the movie. So you talked a little bit about the Isabella song. Talk also a little bit about the Luisa song. Surface pressure. <laughs> I, think, I think I can tell what my pandemic songs were. <laughs> You know, I worked on another movie called Vivo, and there's a song in there called Keep the Beat that is all about, like, what the hell do you do when a crisis happens? I guess you just keep the beat. Surface Pressure is definitely its sibling in terms of the timeline of when it was written and the enormous pressure of keeping it together when you feel like the world is coming apart. And I also was really inspired by my own older sister. I have a sister who's six years older, She's much tougher than me, but the secret of that is she's actually much more sensitive <laughs> than me. You know, you get through the tough exterior and it's this very soft underbelly. She's the easy crier at the movies. She's the worst liar in the family. <laughs> and so I was really inspired by writing just like the toughest, coolest reggaeton song I could. And I knew I was gonna have a turn where it was puppies and rainbows and God, what, it would, what would it feel like to not have to present this front all the time. And I think we all have that at one moment or another. So that one wrote easy because I was thinking of my older sister. There's a little bit of the cure in there. Um, that it, there's a little love cats in that chorus. Um, you know, pressure like a tick, 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 that'll never stop. Um, da, 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 da. There's a little like 80s because my sister is a child of the 80s. And sure. My tastes in music were formed by thinking whatever she thought was cool, I thought was cool. What's the, the age difference between you? She's six years older. Aha, uh -huh. okay, that's interesting. My brother was six years older than me. Yeah. And we had a very yeah, complicated relationship. Yeah, the records is everything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Another amazing moment in the movie that I absolutely loved was We Don't Talk About Bruno. 
I mean, it not only revisits a turning point for the family in terms of the story, but the song has hip hop elements in it. I guess it does, yeah. And that was a surprise. I mean, I, I, and again, the surprise was that it came from Dolores. There does come a moment on any project, if you're working with the right collaborators and magic is happening, where you stop deciding what your characters should say and they start telling you what they should say. <laughs> and it's a very mystical sentence I just said, but it's true. And Dolores surprised me. I love that the person who had the most sensitive hearing was the quietest voice in the room, but actually had the most insight on the family dynamic because she hears everything. That was really fascinating when she started talking to me, only to be matched by uh, Adasa, who is cast later and has an incredible voice and is an incredible singer. I remember clearly pitching Bruno being like, this is a chance for a group number. It's a chance to hear from family members that won't necessarily get their own song because we got 12 major characters here. And we all have that family member that we're not allowed to talk about at the dining room table, but we're talking about in our bedrooms and on our walks and over here and here and here. Um, and as a little aside, at this point in the pandemic when I was writing this song, my brother-in-law was living with us. It was my family, my in-laws, and my brother-in-law. And um, <laughs> when I played this song of the, like, the mysterious uncle who lives with the family, my brother-in-law was like, is this about me? <laughs> he sort of raised his hand, half insulted, half proud. One of my favorite songs is Dos Odo Guitas. Mm. Tell us about it, how you conceived it, and its role in the film. I think it's um, the best example of how collaboration creates something you could never make alone. I was inspired to write that song by the imagery of the butterflies creating the miracle um, that the animators were coming up with. As they were finding the visual language for the miracles of the, the Madrigal family, they came up with this candle flame that became this butterfly. And we were talking about this moment, and it happens pretty late in the film. And I sort of said, well, you have this butterfly, but we don't actually really go into how butterflies work. And a miracle happens to make a butterfly. This completely different creature transforms <laughs> to become a butterfly. And so what I pitched was, what if it's a song about two caterpillars who are in love with each other and don't want to let go of each other, but they have to let go of each other to change into their next form and change into their next version of themselves. And everyone really liked that pitch. I really wanted it to sound like a song that has always existed. A kind of a kind of Colombian folk song. Yeah, a folk song. There's a there's a great paranda song in Puerto Rico that goes Dame la mano paloma, which give me your hand dub so I can go up to your nest. Um, you know these these beautiful um, songs with nature imagery that just feel like they've always been there. Seguirás, vienen milagros, vienen grisal. 
compartir y construir su propio futuro. It's the only song in the movie that a character does not sing from a sort of storytelling place. It plays like a folk song over this very powerful moment in the history of the family. So I wanted it to feel kind of out of time. And um, one, Sebastián Yatra's vocals just take it to a whole other level. And two, it's my wife's favorite song I've ever written. <laughs> and my wife's a tough customer. And, and it's special because it's in Spanish. Yeah, and it's the first time I've ever really written a song beginning to end in Spanish. The closest I did in Heights was a song called Siempre, where again, I was trying to write a song that feels like it always existed. It exists in the record player in the Rosario's house. I was trying to write an old bolero, but I only wrote a verse and a chorus, just enough uh, for it to thread its way through the rest of the score. And then there's uh, Colombia Mi Encanto, which is also sung in Spanish. Yes. By a different artist. Yes, by the great Carlos Vives. And it's very much the snake eating its tail because I was listening to Carlos Vives to get the Vallenato sound, to make sure I got that right. And this is a funny story you'll appreciate. D23 does their little teasers way before we're done with the movie. And the only image they showed was the beautiful house that they all live in. And then you just heard, Colombia! And that was it, that was it. And I, I kind of, I went back to the filmmakers and said, you know, we've been inspired and enriched by this Colombian music and Colombian culture. We never actually say the words Colombia in the movie. And we don't have a song that does that. So can I write one? <laughs> and so I wrote that song inspired by Carlos Vives' work and celebration of his culture. And then we got Carlos Vives to sing the song and him and his musicians brought a whole other level of, of authenticity. It's a wonderful moment in the film. How did you go about producing these songs? And was it done over a long period of time? Or did everything get hammered out fairly quickly? Yeah, um, it was done over a very long period of time. And the first person um, we hired to work with me was the great Mike Elizondo. Again, I knew the diversity of different kinds of styles I wanted to write for this, and I wanted to find a producer who was fluent in all the genres. And Mike Elizondo has worked for Eminem and he's worked for Fiona Apple. <laughs> and he's, and everything in between. I, I had the good fortune to work with him on a couple of songs for the, the Hamilton mixtape. I would do the demos and then I would bring them to Mike and he would think of instrumentations and stuff and, and bring his own sound. And it was a really fantastic collaboration. If you take Encanto, the film version of your In the Heights and your contributions to Vivo, You've been able to shed light on three different arenas of Latin music in a single year. Can you talk about what that's been like? Um, I'm pretty sleepy all the time. <laughs> well, again, In the Heights is, is, is sort of the grandparent to all of these, and In the Heights took 13 years to get to the screen, and it's 21 years old as a, as a project inside my brain. And when it first began, I was 19 years old, and it was my dare to myself, can I write Latin music? I was as awed by its rhythmic complexity as the next person, but I just thought, 
I have grown up with this music all my life. If I can't write it, like I should quit now. <laughs> and, and so it was a challenge to myself to write in those styles. And that evolved over the many years that I, I evolved uh, as a songwriter. And then with Encanto, again, like these all have little overlaps in their brackets, but they all kind of happened at really different times. And so I, I was able to keep them straight and really um, explore different things in each project. And I, I, I hope that when you listen to all three of those, you hear a really wide array of sounds because um, they're all different um, sources of inspiration. Did you have any interaction with Jermaine Franco, who wrote the dramatic score? Yeah, I was really thrilled to, to work with Jermaine. I really admired her work on Coco, and it was really important to me that we have a Latino music team for this movie. That was top to bottom a Latino music team. And so our first meeting uh, went really well, and she just spoke so powerfully about um, the themes and the instrumentation she, she wanted to use to expand on, I think at the point at which we met, I'd written three or four songs. So we kind of had that common language to to begin with. And then the themes she found were so incredible to the point where there's there's give and take uh, between where my song ends and her score begins. I'm, I'm particularly thinking of the, the finale number without giving anything away to anyone who hasn't seen the movie, but it gives way from my song to this theme she established right at the beginning of the film with the very powerful door imagery. Um, and it's, it's just great. It's interesting to me that although you've worked with other studios, you've returned to Disney several times in different capacities, writing, performing, composing. What is it? Is it the big pocketbook? Is it a certain creative freedom? Is it friends you like to collaborate with? I mean, to steal a line from Isabella, I had such a good time working on Moana, what else can I do? <laughs> um, and The Little Mermaid exploded my brain when I was nine years old. It's the reason we're talking. I couldn't believe a contemporary Calypso number was breaking out in the middle of this Disney movie because not to take anything away from those earlier Disney films, they all had this quote unquote classical style. It's lush orchestrations, it's when you wish upon a star, it's, and here comes a, a Caribbean number. And I think that really affected me. I felt weightless in the theater and I've been trying to recapture and chase that feeling I think ever since this feeling of being transported by something that is totally alien on screen but at the same time deeply familiar you know I'm trying to put words to what that experience was of seeing under the sea for the first time but I'm always chasing the feeling of seeing under the sea for the first time well we're so grateful to you and we thank you so much for being with us today it's been a pleasure thank you thank you Lynn Disney's Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores Playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Lin-Manuel Miranda's songs and Jermaine Franco's score for Walt Disney Animation Studios and Canto. The Four Scores Playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you like. Also with us today is the composer of the score for Encanto. Jermaine Franco was the first Latina to be invited to join the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences music branch, and the first to receive the Annie Award for her musical contributions to Coco, 
the Disney Pixar film set in Mexico, for which she co-wrote and produced five of its original songs. She's here today to talk about her role in the music of Encanto. Welcome back to the podcast, Jermaine Franco. Hello, John. Thank you for having me. You know, with a musical, people might tend to think that the songs are everything. But in fact, there's an entire score to be written and recorded, and the songs themselves have to be produced. So tell us what you did on Encanto. Well, I worked with uh, the team to create a score that weaves in and out of the, the songs. And it tells the story of Mirabel and her emotions. And my work is storytelling through the instrumental uh, and the orchestra and then the traditional music of Colombia. How could I work with the drama and the storytelling to move that plot forward without getting in the way? And so the goal was, what is the sound of magical realism? And there aren't a whole lot of scores that have that task. And so for me, it was a lot of discovery. You use the term magical realism and you think, well, how do you translate that into music? What is that? Well, lots of experimentation. I wrote a lot of music, not to picture, and just came up with suites, themes and ideas so that I could put them in front of the filmmakers and they could react before I actually got picture. What about the music of Colombia? Were you familiar with it? Did you go down and visit? Do you have a, a sense of how different that is than the music that perhaps you might have written for Coco or for Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which are also set in Latin American countries, but not in Colombia? Everyone knows a cumbia. That was the main way in. The cumbia is from Colombia, and almost every Latin country has their own version of it, and it's very different when played by different countries, but it originates in Colombia. I found new rhythms that I did not know, which were, for example, Afro-Colombiano. Because it was during COVID, I unfortunately could not go. So what I did was I worked with some Colombian musicians here, and then I also just every day would listen over and over to music and incorporate those rhythms into the score and specific rhythms are applied to different characters. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me about that. For instance, Mirabel, who's the protagonist, she is very tenacious and she doesn't stop. She is always driven. And so I tried different rhythms and the one that they loved the most for her was the cumbia, which is a ch 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 So that is a pattern that you'll hear when she's trying to find something out. So that's her rhythm. And then also the Afro-Colombian rhythms. There's one character named Antonio, who's very sweet and very, very, very lovely. Boy. Yes, yeah. I, I applied Afro-Colombian two rhythms to this one moment in the film. I want to say that I have a Colombian marimba made for me in Colombia while during COVID. It came here and it, it comes from the Pacific coast. You know, there is a huge tradition of marimbas there, but they're made from a plant. They're called marimba de chontas. And so there are no marimba de chontas on any scores that I'm familiar with, 
but I wanted that sound. I didn't want it to be the African balafon, which is similar, but it's just not the same. Then there's some tangos, which are not from Colombia, but they're great for drama and comedy. <laughs> and we decided it's, it's not a documentary, so we can have fun and play with many different Latin rhythms. And it's so much fun from start to finish. And talk about the, about the specific instruments that might be uh, unusual for, for a film like this. Okay, well, one of the main instruments is called a tiple, and that is played in the Andean region of Colombia. It's a descendant, obviously, of a Spanish guitar, but for each note, there's three strings, and so it's got a twangy sound, and so that it's a really fun sound. So what um, I did was I, of course, sampled them all. <laughs> and made uh, lots of instruments that I could play just for my ideas and then later re-recorded them with actual players. And I have this beautiful harp, which is called an arpa llanera, and that is the harp from the Joropo style of music from the Plains region. And then I have gaitas, which are these incredible flutes that sound like birds. You'll hear a gaita in Carlos Vives' band. I'm using tamboras, which are the Afro-Colombian, and also bombos, and I mix some other guitars from Latin America, like charango. Did you utilize specialized instrumentalists? Maybe Absolutely. some of them might have come from Colombia? Yes, well, one that I worked with is Justo Almario. He is an amazing saxophone player and clarinetist, and there's a style of clarinet playing that's Colombian, that he's a master of. And he's on the score as well in a few comedic moments. And then also there's some jazzy dance bits where he's playing and, and jamming on sax. And then also I worked with Colombian vocalists in Colombia and we did a session. <laughs> but you were here and they were uh, there? Yeah, it was, it took a lot of patience. Well, what happened, it's, um, it's because I went to see Carlos Vives, and I was dancing the whole time at the Hollywood Bowl, and I said, I think we have to have Colombian women singing on this, because they have this tradition, especially in the Afro-Colombian areas, where the women all play percussion, marimba, and they chant and sing. And I wanted that sound, so... Um, <laughs> It's as authentic as you can get. <laughs> You know, I sometimes wonder if Disney's long history with great songs and great scores going all the way back to the 1930s is somehow ingrained in the company's culture. I think it's a big foundation of the storytelling. It's almost as if the music um, and the storytelling are a huge, you know, fabric that just works together. And for the musicians and the you know, composers and songwriters, it's such a joy because you get to be who you are and Disney pushes you as an artist to develop and hone the talents and dig deeper because it's not done over two months. I spent a year on this score and I stopped all other projects. I, I, I had offers, but I felt 
that I needed to really focus on this and spend all my time on this. And the filmmakers were working on it for five years. So the length of time that's given to mold and develop and you know, grow the film with the music and songs, I think always gives such a beautiful result. Yeah, and I think it's so apparent here in Encanto. I always love anything that you do, but I felt this was different. This seems special to me, and it may have been the mix of the visuals with what I was listening to, but it all worked, and the magic of the movie, you know, is so beautifully complemented by what you did. Thank you, Jermaine, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Four Scores. Please subscribe and make sure to share this episode with your music-loving friends. It would also be great if you can rate it because that really helps others find the series. Check out Walt Disney Animation Studios' Encanto in theaters and on Disney Plus and listen to the soundtrack wherever music is enjoyed.